Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. How's it going? How's your week been? What's up? What's new? What's exciting? It's spring. It is spring. Love spring. Is it like, is it like final gasp of winter spring or is it like real spring? Oh, no, no. Um, neither. I mean, in Quebec, in Quebec City, we don't get actual spring till like fucking June. But um, it means that, <laughs> uh, you know, things are the weed freezing rain today. So that's that's not snow. Um, but I think probably in most other parts of Canada that are maybe not Western Canada, uh, to the Rockies and of course the North, I think that spring seems to be springing. I'm seeing lots of people posting pictures of snowless, depressing backyards and some flowers kind of breaking through the soil. So that's nice. It's spring. (laughs) We love that. That's great. I'm into that. Yeah. How are you? I'm good. You know, I can't complain. I have only one solitary class left to finish. Everything else is done. It's been great. I'm taking this amazing class called Law and Theater where we like go to plays and then drink wine and talk about them. Third year law school is really, it's it's something. Um, (laughs) And I saw this great play this week called um, Can't Pay, Don't Pay, uh, about uh, women who can't pay for rising grocery prices and decide not to. Uh, It was was a really, really great um, kind of discussion. It was was a comedy, but also most definitely um, the subtext was quite serious, a discussion about... um, you know, what, what happens when people are pushed to their limit, when the people are pushed to their brink and um, what they are, like what the options are ahead of them and the sort of debates that they might have and how their unions may be helpful or how their unions may be unhelpful. It was a really, really fun play. And I'm really glad I went to see it. Oh, that sounds so, that sounds so great. Uh, thank goodness that arts are still here, even though uh, we're, you know, kicking down the door of year going on year three of this pandemic. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Year three of the pandemic. And I'm hearing whisperings that it looks like there might be another surge coming for us. Nora, do you know anything about that? I haven't done a lot of reading on it, to be honest. I'm sure that you've done more than me. Yeah, I mean, you know, as everybody's dropping um, mask mandates very, very quickly, uh, it's not going to be surprising when we start to see surges again. Um, And of course, people are very frustrated by this. We've got provinces like Saskatchewan that are not reporting any data at all. And other provinces are moving towards that as well. And um, and then where, you know, testing is happening, it's pretty limited. Uh, I know a lot of people have a lot of anxiety about like you just can't trust the numbers at all, um, to which I always say, you know, we're still testing in some pretty high risk locations where there are on average higher cases. And so the tests uh, give us an indication of where we're at. Of course, it doesn't give us a full picture, but it does. It's not nothing. It's not useless. But as of Monday, Ontario's dropped all mask mandates. Um, the uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan have not had mask mandates for a while. Um, so yeah, things we're going to probably see a surge the way that we saw last April, and we're not going to really know much about it because we don't have very good data to show us. So if you're listening and you're feeling anxious. Um, you're not alone. <laughs> a lot of people are. Um, and uh, all I can say is um, 
if you've been following the data really, really closely, um, you'll know what's coming next. If you haven't been following the data closely, don't start because it's not worth it. <laughs> it's not good enough for you to for you to hang your hat on uh, on the data. So, um, you know, follow along on Twitter. I'll try to reassure people. I think that there is a lot of things to be reassured about as well, like data is coming in about just the efficacy of vaccines and Omicron, um, which it's still very good, even though you can still get it. And um, and I just hope that people are able to kind of hold on to the things that are great, like the changing temperature and season. And every day is a day closer to the end of this, regardless of when that end is. And even more optimism for your ears. Let's talk about all of the great people we have to be grateful to. Yes. This week, we have to say so much thank you to Ruth, Abigail, Dave, and Nicholas. Thank you so, so much. And to everybody that listens and shares the podcast, we really appreciate it. Yes. Thank you. Okay. So we have a few small things to talk about. Well, not small, but um, shorter um, uh, things that we want to talk to you about uh, before we get into our main discussion topic, which will be about propaganda. So stay tuned for that. But first, Nora, you want to talk about uh, some pretty awful events that have happened uh, this week in a couple of places in Canada. Yeah, yeah. There have been two attacks at mosques in Canada in the past two weeks, and perhaps more. These are the ones that are being publicized. So there was a uh, someone vandalized a mosque in, in St. John's, Newfoundland, Labrador, and uh, someone showed up to a mosque in Mississauga, Ontario, with an axe and bear spray and tried to commit what police are saying uh, was a hate-motivated act. The past two years, we've seen this rising uh, coalescing of the far right, but around um, not around identity so much as around the pandemic, right? That it's that it was very focused on mandates and vaccines and all this kind of stuff. And and we we knew we know that far right organizing has been underpinning that. So so individuals who are very involved in in Islamophobic or hateful um, organizing. And so you know at year three, going on to year three, it's not very surprising that we see something like this happening. But what's so depressing is, you know, five years after the mosque shooting in Quebec City, you know, not much has changed in terms of like no laws have changed that would have stopped that uh, action from happening again. Um, and I, it's just it's amazing how well the liberals have just kind of like skated on this stuff and not actually done anything. Um, there hasn't been enough done on gun control and a lot of the gun buyback programs haven't been as successful as they were promised to be. Um, but then more fundamental than than even gun control is talking about the rise of the far right. And this, I guess, dovetails directly into the program and what we'll be talking about uh, is, is this like the way that the far right is used by people in power in Canada. It's, it's like a tap. It's like when it helps the liberals, it's like, don't even worry about them, fan the flames, whatever. And when it doesn't help the liberals, it's like, oh, no, no, we're totally standing up to hate um, and and we we condemn this. But there's no material change. And that's pretty concerning. We're coming up close to a year since when the Afsal family was um, murdered uh, on account of Islamophobia again. And as you say, those who are in power often use these moments to do what, you know, kind of what we've talked about previously about how people um, 
express themselves on social media, it's become acceptable for politicians to do the same thing. So they, they talk about these hateful events, about how they are terrible events and how we must stop them from happening and how, you know, the, the common refrain of thoughts and prayers. But they refuse to take the next step, which is to actually recognize how the systems are set up in this country to support white supremacist organizing and what can be done to make sure that that white supremacist organizing isn't supported by all sorts of different systems. I mean, we know that in Canada, there is a connection between white supremacist organizing and the armed forces. We know that there's a connection between white supremacist organizing and policing. These are things that have been reported on again and again. And there are steps that could be taken to deal with that, but no politician has taken those steps to, to, to uh, try to do what they actually can, take the power that they have to root out some of the sources of these um, of the of 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 violence and violent uh, organizing and violent ideology spreading in Canada, and they have the power to do these things. And I think that the way that we talk about hate, as though it's just some sort of feeling that people have and act upon individually, that is not real. <laughs> That's about as real as how some people think that racism operates, or some people think that, um, you know, femicide operates, or some people think that gender-based violence operates. That's not real. It is not someone's individual thoughts and then um, their individual actions. The fact that this stuff happens on such a broad scale again and again and again is because it is supported by systems and institutions that those in power are refusing to change. Now, I think that there is, um, you know, slowly we've been able to kind of uh, shift the cultural understanding of racism so that people start to talk about systemic racism, although sometimes you hear people talk, reference systemic racism and they're referencing the wrong thing. But, you know, we're making some, we're <laughs> making some inroads there where people understand that it's not simply, you know, someone calls me uh, a slur that I object to and that's the only thing that, that's the only way that racism looks like. We need that understanding to spread for all sorts of other different types of hate and oppressions and white supremacy is a very, very serious one that action should have been taken on a long fucking time ago for all of the times that these politicians get up in front of our television screens and say thoughts and prayers. Um, this shouldn't be happening. We'll do something mm -hmm. about it. <laughs> but they can't, right? That's That's the thing. It's like doing something about it is like addressing the housing market. It's addressing poverty. It's addressing health care. Uh, it's addressing education, mental health care. I mean, there's just so this is it's so multifaceted. And it's 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 really funny because over the weekend, I was reading some stuff and listening to music from like, I don't know, 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and the 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 way that um what i was reading was referencing the changing world and how things are getting worse and that we're making them worse and this is mm. like before 9/11 like it's just like 
oh my God, you know, like we have just been on this backslide for two decades. And that's a period of time where anybody who's 40 years of age and, and under has spent like the vast majority of their adult life in this backsliding moment. And um, and it's really poisonous because because we cannot see what has to be done. We cannot see what needs to be fixed. And, and, and in absence of being able to see clearly what needs to be fixed to fight rising fascism in this country, we are just so manipulated into the way that liberal politicians, and I'm using liberal as like general, so liberal, conservative, NDP politicians repackage these issues into being, as you say, these individualized narratives. And um, and if you don't see it in that way, I mean, that's, I guess we could call that gaslighting, right? Then, then you're just like existing in a world where the forces are being manipulated around you. So you don't understand exactly what is happening between stimulus and, and, and how you feel about that stimulus. <laughs> Uh, and it's and it's it's an overdrive now that uh, Canada is um, I mean, we're not at war, but fuck it. If you listen to the media, it sounds like we are. And that is very fascinating. And actually, like, yeah, OK, so we're not at war, but it, it is as though like everything is coalescing um, to prepare for a moment where the government can justify going to war. And everything is pointing to that, like, is, is getting ready for that moment. It's the media. It's the politicians. It's how we are even allowed to critique on this stuff, like, without being, um, you know, told to go fuck ourselves. <laughs> uh, and it's, just, it's like, I don't know that people see, uh, we're getting into the main topic now, but I don't know if people see the utility of that, like, the utility of it is to get ready for a moment where if, um, you know, the the powers that be decide, okay, yeah, actually we are going to send Canadian troops. Um, and yes, you know, uh, we are going to push NATO um, to get involved and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to. If, you know, it becomes really difficult to oppose that uh, if people are primed in a particular way. And I think that priming is happening Nora, I think it is mm. happening all over Canada. I think it might be happening in other places in the West as well. Although I, I will be honest that my news consumption outside of Canada this week hasn't been that great. But I do see some stuff where it suggests that um, that might be happening in other places in the West as well. I mean, gosh, this I, I saw this week that there is like a, a coalition of uh, uh, European folks, nations, I'm not sure, who want to nominate Zelensky for the Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah. <laughs> like, for presiding over one side in a war. Like, I just, I don't, I mean, if that's not obvious propaganda, I'm not really sure what is. <laughs> like, it just seems so bizarre um, that, that that's even that could even be a consideration, you know, like I'm not saying that, you know, I know that people moralize um, the idea of peace in a particular way. So maybe that's what's being propagandized here, the, the use of the word peace. I'm not saying that everyone who uh, takes up arms to defend um, their people uh, is like that that is 
bad or, or I'm, I'm saying that that's not, it's definitely not <laughs> peace. It is a strategy. It's a strategy that many uh, people, freedom fighters, uh, um, warmongers around the world throughout history have used. It is a strategy. It is certainly not a peaceful strategy. And, you know, if, you, if you're looking at what is happening in Ukraine, um, how there is uh, a conscription going on, um, that there are people who are trying to escape that conscription, like draft dodgers, to use language that we might be familiar with. I mean, how do you... How do you say, okay, let's give this person the peace prize? It's, you know, as ludicrous as giving the peace prize to someone who's using drones to drop bombs on people. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It's propaganda. Yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that. And I, actually, the, the weirdest part of this whole thing, too, is that the deadline to nominate anybody for the 2022 Nobel Peace Prize was um, the end of January. So the nomination wasn't even just like, yeah, we want to nominate him. But it was like, make this uh, exception. And I was like... Whoa, guys! Do you do you like not think there's gonna be like a 2023? <laughs> like, is t- is the world gonna be annihilated <laughs> before mean, 2023? And so you better slip it in. <laughs> I mean, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Like, I, I, yeah, I, you know, something will exist. Something will exist. But humanity, I don't know. Um, but it, it's a really good example of how things get so twisted around because, of course, I made a comment like that and I made that comment knowing full well that my Twitter feed for the day would be focused on how like I'm a Russian fucking plant and all this kind of stuff. And it's like we can have these conversations, folks. We can have conversations like the UK, the, the Ukrainian president is meeting an invasion with soldiers, with war. That's what's fucking happening. And you can support that. And that's fine. But that's not peace. Um, but the remixing of these words, the remixing, oh, my God, that I don't know, Sandy, if you've seen the, the language around Ukraine and Russia that mirrors like intimate partner violence. Right. So it's like, oh, I bet next thing you'd say is, is, is Ukraine, what was Ukraine wearing? Or are you saying that Ukraine w- was asking for it? Or are you saying that Ukraine, uh, you're victim blaming them? And it's just like, OK, Wait, well, what? Yeah, no, I is, haven't seen this at all. This is like online stuff. And it's coming from, I think, probably average people. I mean, I don't fucking know. Maybe it's coming not from average people. But certainly the people sending this stuff to me seem kind of average. There's there are people that are, um, that are I- engaged in this because they're concerned with what's going on in Ukraine. They're, they're, they're angry about Russian uh, aggression and Russian violence. Uh, and then it gets remixed into these personal kind of um, scenarios. And I think probably the most obvious and most common one is that that Putin's a bully, right? That this is all about bullying, right? And so when we're talking about propaganda, I think people really need to listen to these kinds of tropes and ask themselves, like, what is the purpose of this trope? What is the purpose in boiling this down to Putin is a bully? That's ridiculous. Like, that's that's like that's completely ridiculous. That's like saying, you know, let's let's look at World War II and, and boiling everything that happened in World War II down to, well, Hitler was a bully, <laughs> Right. Like what the fuck is that? That's meaningless fucking word. Right. Like that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't tell us anything. Um, And so, you know, whenever any any um, analysts are trying to boil it down like that, it's like it should be a red flag. You know, so so last week, CBC. So CBC, the current has been nonstop running up to three segments uh, a day on Ukraine. 
And I, I think that's very interesting because because the current, as, as folks know, I listen to this show very, very consistently. And you can you can hear that they're moving in lockstep with government policy, which is a huge fucking problem for the public broadcaster. It's a huge problem for press freedom, whatever. But they actually had two professors who were disagreeing with each other about what's to be done uh, with Ukraine. And uh, there, I was like the first time I've ever heard anybody saying, actually, we, we shouldn't be boosting military aid. We shouldn't be trying to like um, go to war, like further of, uh, ratchet up tensions that we need to be doing everything possible through diplomatic means, through other means, through being creative to, to stop what's happening in a, in a, you know, because more war is just going to lead to more people dying. And I was like, holy fuck, I haven't heard that in the media in Canada. Uh, and so we're just swimming in this world where what's acceptable is like, I feel the walls are closing in, quite frankly, on what's acceptable. And I know I've seen people respond to me privately about how thankful they are of what I've been saying. And I can see that what they're saying is that they don't feel like they can say it because they know that they're going to be attacked for being critical or asking questions or saying, wait, like, what, what are these videos of Ukrainian soldiers, like, hurting Ukrainians, like what's going on here? This th we need a response. If we're if Canada is so ready to be on the side of Ukraine, like maybe this warrants a I don't know some investigation from Canada. I don't know. Yeah, it's also you know it was really concerning to me to see the sort of response to how um, people responded to um, Putin's discussion of the denazification of Ukraine. Because, of course, we had had those reports in Canada prior to the Russian invasion of this latest invasion of Ukraine um, that Canadian forces were assisting in the training of people who were confirmed to be connected to Nazi ideology. And But as soon as it was like, okay, so Putin has said this because of how uh, propaganda has been working, it's like everything that's coming from that side is false. It was just like... Haha, ha, hilarious. Like the, as though Nazis in Ukraine. And it was like, but we just had stories about this. We just, I mean, did everything change the moment that Russia in, invaded Ukraine? Did all realities cease to be true? Because we have to actually engage with this if we know that we've had these reports already happening in Canada. But the response to that, like to these calls for, but but isn't there like, or like, can we talk about this was really, really quite awful. Like, and this is how propaganda works on people because it justifies this idea that everything that's coming from over there is wrong and bad and everything that's coming from over here is good and right. It also justifies some of the strangest responses to war, like, all of this focus on um, American corporations <laughs> and their franchise <laughs> options <laughs> in Russia is just, it's like, it's very, very bizarre. And like, it belies like a, a really um, shallow understanding worldwide about how like the economy works mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. what a boycott is and how a boycott functions. Um, it's just really bizarre the things that people are starting to call for and how people are responding to even, uh, you know, Russian, like, people, just like innocent Russian people out in their uh, communities. I was listening to a news podcast recently, I believe it was the Washington Post's, um, where they were discussing... <laughs> 
you can, I can barely say this without like laughing. Like, what is it like right now on the International Space Station? Uh, what? Like, are the, are the are the U.S. astronauts getting along with the cosmonauts? Like, do they know what's going on down there? Like, are they able to have these conversations together? Like, what's and like, there are some some questions that could be asked about like what's happening right now with respect to space because there are some people who are scheduled to. Uh, return back to Earth, and there does need to be some coordination between um, the United States and Russia on that piece. So for sure, there's some things that they could focus on. But this like question of like, can they even talk to each other right now? Like, what? How? How would like? Wow, mm. nationalism, huh? Like, is that how it works? Are we supposed to just because of what's happening, we're supposed to just um, you know start uh, hating other individuals because of what mm. people in the political sphere are doing? Uh, propaganda it'll have you believing some really weird things yeah well i'm i'm very curious to hear the the post-mortem into this whole the cosmonauts wearing yellow to support ukraine Uh, i mean uh, (laughs) i i I saw that flash across my screen and i just i was like i I mean i like i don't know much about space my my partner um managed to make it into like the top 100 in the canada space uh search for an astronaut so i have a bit of like uh, you know knowledge like the smallest amount of knowledge on how tightly controlled this kind of stuff is and for three cosmonauts from russia to be like fuck you russia we're about to go into space and we're gonna wear different uniforms that seems weird (laughs) seems pretty much impossible, but I could be wrong. And I'd like some more information on that rather than the the raw, raw, raw. Um, wow, look how great these guys are. Because it's also like they're fucking scientists. They're like they probably are like we want stability. We don't want to fucking die on our way to our mission. We don't want to die when we come home. And um, and actually, the International Space Station is such a great example of international cooperation that um, it's really disgusting to turn that into. Well, do you think they're fighting in space? It's like they're fucking pissing in tubes. They're not fighting like there's probably some pretty interesting conversations happening, <laughs> you know, but this is where things uh, do get so upside down. Well, yeah, Nora, I actually I do want to read you like as you were talking, I was like, let me just look up um, a story because I bet I know how they told the story with a, with a lot of like if and and maybe and suggestion. And yes. And so this is directly from NPR. OK, which is uh, for those of you who don't know, like the National Public Radio in the United States. And uh, here's what it says. It says, <laughs> um, all three were wearing yellow space suits with blue. The Russian flag was also featured on their space suits. I mean, wow, what, is, what a surprise. They are Russian space suits. And Obviously, it says, yeah. It's not clear what message the cosmonauts were trying to send. But when asked about the yellow suits, Artem... I, I can't pronounce this name, but Art, I'm going to try. Artemyev said that every crew chooses their own... It was our turn to pick a color, but in fact, we accumulated a lot of yellow material, so we needed to use it. <laughs> That's why we had to wear yellow, okay. he said, according to the Associated Press. <laughs> but the title, the title of this article um, is Russian Cosmonauts Board Space Station Wearing Blue and Yellow, the Colors of Ukraine. <laughs> right. Why would you write a story suggesting something like this if you don't know that that's news? If you don't know that that's a fact, you're just like, wow, people wearing colors. Like, this is the level of news that we have right now. That is 100% propaganda. Like, I just don't understand what else that would be. Nobody needs to know this. This isn't news. 
No, no, especially because it's like, sorry, it actually doesn't fucking matter if that's a statement of anything. If they're not saying something, if they're not doing something, any kind of any kind of statement that could be passed off as meaningless, especially if the propaganda well, and especially as the propaganda in Russia is as strong as we're hearing that it is. What the fuck statement does that make? It's not the same as the Russian news worker, the, the Russian, a Russian journalist who stood on air with a big anti-war sign. I mean, that is fucking a statement, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and that yeah. was amazing. And um, that's an example of a statement. None of this fucking, oh, they're wearing yellow, yellow, color of the sun and also Ukraine. Um, I don't know, Stan, <laughs> if you heard that uh, a Ukrainian punk band um they uh, re-recorded the clashes, London calling to be Kiev calling as a symbol of solidarity and hope. This is news. Everyone's like, yeah, that's so sweet. No. Bans, bans a bunch of Nazis. Bans a bunch of Nazis. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. Right? So it's just like this kind of stuff, right? And, and of course, this is going to come out in any war, obviously. This is, how, this is what happens in war. Um, but what's really difficult is, 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 you know, Canadians, we are all in on one side. And we're so far in on one side that we are not hearing even, like, possible explanations for what Russia is saying about certain things. Um, you know, I, I, like, if you listen to French news, like out of France, they're allied in the same way as Canada is with NATO, but there's so much more openness to actually discussing and criticizing and debating what is really happening. Um, and partly that might be just because, you know, French culture is a bit more open to debate in that way. But also it's just like Canada is so uniformly in lockstep with itself all the time when we've got leadership that says we have to do something. And so it expresses itself in stuff like, I, you know, CBC Radio, all of a sudden journalists on CBC Radio hosts – uh, just before the news are are saying rather than your news is next or your news update is next they're saying the latest on Ukraine is up next and i've heard wow. this now on two different shows consistently and it's like what the fuck point is that like you don't even do that your election news is up next we actually have fucking you know really big canadian news so what what is again it's propaganda and i saw an article from the week uh which is an american uh weekly news roundup so they kind of they give analysis and they and they look at like an array of american um sources on different issues or whatever it's a really interesting publication um and they were covering uh news that had come out of mariupol which is this this port city uh that is being bombarded by russia and that um, a, a tweet, a couple of tweets have gone viral saying that the, the Russians are kidnapping people and taking them to camps. And this article in The Week is saying, well, Russia is saying that they're refugees um, and that they're just being relocated while they bomb the city. Um, and, and Mariupol is, a, you know, close to the Russian border. Um, the article also mentioned, which I had not heard, how many refugees Russia has taken in this. So, you know, there's 300... Uh, three million refugees uh, is the is the count, and we've heard a lot about the Polish border. But you know, almost two hundred thousand, according to the week, of uh, refugees have gone into Russia. Um, and so, like, even a simple question like that, like, is Russia capturing people, taking them to camps? Of course, everyone knows what camp is associated with when we uh, hear something like this, mm-hmm. w- whether labor or concentration or whatever. Uh, or are they evacuating cities while they bomb them as a strategy of war to limit casualties? I mean, w- w- we will not find out 
in Canada. We will have to look internationally uh, for any hope in hell in finding out what's actually going on. And I feel like even worse, to, to, to even try and suggest that we should have these kinds of conversations gets you painted as a Russian agent or, I mean, I, mean, I don't know, like pro-Putin or whatever the fuck. And it's, it's very tiresome and I, um, I really hate it. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, the danger in some in in this sort of stuff is if you don't have like all of the information that we could have, um, you know, we we only see one way forward, like the 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 utility of presenting things in this way means that there is only one way forward. And that only one way forward is more military action, military support as the only way to support people who are being harmed on the ground and that like the political imagination that we must have in times like these to imagine other solutions if we are anti-war folks like I am an anti-war person to to think about how we can be supporting in other ways how we can be um, supportive to people who need it the most who are the most at risk um, what we can do to provide safe harbor, safe passage, to provide safe uh, places for the people who are being harmed by these geopolitical situations. I mean, all of that gets thrown to the wayside and we just, you know, become, it's like you either support this or you're like a bad person. <laughs> and and supporting this, the the this, this military, increased military presence, increased military operations, whatever, that is going to hurt hundreds of thousands of people if it goes, you know, if it is able to continue, hundreds of thousands, millions even, if, it is con- if things continue in the way that things are continuing right now. We have to insist that our um, elected politicians insist themselves on alternative conversations. We have to insist that those conversations and those debates be held in public so that we can support differences of opinion. It's not, to me, it's, it's like, it's totally bizarre that all of our politicians are saying the exact same thing as though there is no nuance at all or options uh, to consider in how we engage here. But there are. Even the things that Nora revealed last week about how we are treating people who need, um, uh, who needs, uh, you know, well, uh, I don't even know what to call it now. I mean, refugee status. They're, they're providing, you know, work, um, uh, work permits, work visas to people rather than refugee status. This is, to me, you know, uh, as Nora explained that last week, it says a whole lot about a refugee system. But it's like not a bad thing to have that discussion and say, should that be open to other people who are in Ukraine right now looking for a way to get out, but who do not hold Ukrainian citizenship? How else can we expand this program to provide safety for people who need it? Like, what are some um, literally peaceful ways that we can um, do what we can to support people who are in harm's way right now. Instead, because we don't have all of the information and all we are getting is this like really strange uh, propaganda sort of uh, pro-war, um, yay, warmongering sort of uh, way of talking about these things. All we've got is, you know, this week people discussing whether or not 
uh, it it was like bad for our politicians to receive Zelensky in the House um, to hear him plea for a no fly zone, and then to, the only discussion coming out of that is like no fly. Well, shouldn't they have said yes if they had listened to? Are we really his friends if we're not supporting a no fly zone? Shouldn't Canada support a no fly zone, or should we not? Like that's the only question because we're not willing to engage anything else. And that's, I just, that's so fucking unacceptable. And I'm just like, how are these decisions being made about how to tell this news? Like, how to deliver this news? If there are any producers who are listening to us, can you just let us know? Like, is it just, is it like, this gets... Oh, that would be super this helpful, This just yeah. gets more clicks, so we're going to be telling the story like this. Like, you know, uh, God, the internet, the guys, the, the cosmonauts are like, let's tell the cosmonaut story because it's going to get more clicks. Like, how are you deciding how this news is being told? Because I, I just... I can't see a thread of logic in it besides just support whatever, you know, like the government is saying, which doesn't seem like the way you should approach news. No. And and what I've been very concerned by, especially in the last couple of days, is the the total acceptance of the government's line that we need to increase our NATO spending. Yes. And so this has been in oh debates for years. Yes. Like what the fuck, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. For years, NATO has said member countries need to increase their spending. And for years, uh, Canada has been reluctant to say they would do so. Trudeau um, increased or promised to increase Canada's NATO spending um, by 70 percent in 2017. Um, not clear that that actually happened. Like it actually got up that high, um, of course, because Canada like our NATO commitment is not the, the, the total of our defense spending. Right. And um, we commit uh, two billion dollars every year to like the Middle East still two fucking billion dollars every year. And it barely gets a mention um, every time the budget time comes up. But Sandy, do you know what? We're talking about here in in raw numbers, an increase to two percent of our GDP in spending for NATO would be. Jesus Christ, I I have no idea, and I don't know if I want to know. But tell me, lay it on me. Well, the estimate is that it would require an additional sixteen billion dollars. <laughs> wow! So we're currently at one point four percent, and so sixteen billion dollars extra means uh, obviously we're already spending probably what 19 billion dollars we're going to be up in the 36 39 billion motherfucking dollars spent on nato okay so this is a huge amount of money this is a fucking colossal amount of money that could be spent literally anywhere else um but but this is just all of a sudden you know oh oh, all all of a sudden we got all these colonists saying all the raj oh yeah we've got to increase our spending um and then specifically mentioning the no-fly zone in, in ukraine and it's like this leads us to nuclear war this is this this entire aggression is not a redux of world war ii that's a neat narrative that a lot of people want us to believe because World War II, there was a clear bad guy, there were clear good guys, and it was a very clean conflict. This is going to pull us back into the years of World War I and imperial wars, wars where by alliances that you have with other countries, you find yourself back at fucking war. And the biggest losers are all the people fighting the wars, whether they're fucking British or Canadian or German or Austrian or whatever. It's a disaster. It only serves the rich. 
and it's fucking got to be opposed at all motherfucking costs. Now, so we have this this promise, like you've got Anita Anand, uh, who's already promised that this is going to happen. Melanie Jolie is like fucking giddy when she talks about that it's going to happen. It's like fuck you both actually so supremely. Um, and we also have uh, deployed warships. Uh, the HCMS Montreal has already left in January uh, to the Mediterranean in the Black Sea. And the HCMS Halifax just left uh, this past week uh, with a Cyclone helicopter on board as well. So it's like we are fucking very clearly marching towards war. We are not getting the whole story. And rather than the whole story, we're just getting like this fucking like, oh, yeah, we just need to increase our spending for NATO. We need to boost up NATO. We need to boost up NATO. We need to boost up NATO as if that's going to do like, what's that going to do, Sandy? Like that's going to fucking stop the bully Putin, I should, Putin, Putin I, whenever I'm hearing that, I'm listening to too much fucking French, <laughs> Putin. No, yeah, this like idea of deterrence as though, you know, like if, if the idea of deterrence was going to work, it would have worked already. <laughs> right? Like, I mean, the, the NATO allied countries have these these um this military might all like whether the ships go to europe or not like the, the deterrence is already there if it has not done the deterring now or in 2014 or in any time in between it's probably not going to do the deter- so maybe try something else <laughs> like listening to a policing strategy or something or an incarceration strategy or something it's like none of this stuff really ever works no, exactly. I mean, it's it's clear that it, it doesn't work. It's clear that we're trying to throw around weight that we don't really have um, as a middle power in, in the world. We've mentioned already on this show all the economic benefits that this brings to Canada, not to mention, of course, the, the contracts, the, the, the contracts for ammunition facilities in the Donbass, which is something we've also mentioned on the show, hasn't been mentioned much at all in the mainstream media again, and how this only helps politicians because Doug Ford doesn't have to fucking deal with all of the criticism right now he doesn't have to deal with all the heat because so much of the attention is on ukraine same with jason kenny right these these two guys like are in fights for their lives i mean jason kenny more than doug ford um but who's who's served by this being the singular issue that journalists are talking about right now and are talking in such a way that if you fucking dare to be critical it's like you're just branded as a fucking well we've already said it, it it's it's really bad sandy and like in all of this, it's like where is the anti-war movement? Yeah, I I have a lot of concerns about the the weakness of the anti-war movement right now. It's something that, you know, I was uh, last week around this time. I had a I did an event with um, Angela Davis in the Toronto Public Library, and uh, one of the questions that I asked her was like, like, what do you think right now about like the weakness of the anti-war movement worldwide? And she said. Uh, you know, in the West, there is like a really intense historical amnesia that goes on, um, that people just are not committed to understanding um, what has come before. And that if all of our movements right now, and all people who are concerned with how people are harmed throughout the world are not fervently anti-war, we are in big, big trouble. And I mean, (laughs) that is happening. We are seeing people who are on the left 
you know, being had by this propaganda, being convinced by this propaganda that there is only one way forward and that way forward is military might. And so I, I really do worry about that. I'm going to be doing some thinking. You know, I'm, I'm here in Los Angeles, but I'm going to be really doing some thinking this week about how I can uh, be a part of supporting um, the strengthening or the reinvigoration of an anti-war movement in Canada, because what I'm seeing right now is really frightening. I mean, I don't even know if, uh, you know, does does the news know of who to call, like people who were involved in anti-war movements? Like, are they are they calling on those people to be a part of panels? I haven't seen any of those people that I know who were part of organizing in the early 2000s, um, you know, be be asked uh, to give their opinions on the news. And it, this is just really shocking to me. Um, and so maybe doing some thinking this week and seeing uh, what I can do myself from where I'm at, because I'm who we can't we can't not have an anti-war movement right now. We just, it's just not it's not acceptable. No. And even worse than that, like it's 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 unbelievable that the only politician who's speaking out against this stuff right now is Maxim Bernier. Maxim Bernier. It, <laughs> it's crazy making. I mean, if I, I think about that too much, never, I, I, I just, yeah. I yeah. never, yeah. never in a million years have thought that this is where we would be, that Maxim Bernier is the one who, uh, who has the best position on this. I just, it's just so stunning. Um, it's so yeah. stunning, and it's and it's and and, the, and of course, what makes it just so much more terrible is that without the strong left wing flank to be able to bring sense to this whole situation, you get this like nonstop fucking horseshoe theory: the left and the right are the same, and all is complete fucking bullshit. I am excited to hear what your thinking does this week, Sandy. Hopefully, something will come out of that <laughs> um, that uh, we can kind of you know jump jump onto. But um, if if you're listening and you're feeling like you like nothing makes any sense that you're self-censoring you're self-censoring all the time because you know that you can't say what you're thinking you don't want to say the wrong thing you want to you know obviously respect the fact that people are dying in ukraine and it is horrifying what's happened to them and it is not fair and what russia is doing is fucked you know for me one thing that i like to sit back and think is like countries are bullshit borders are bullshit yes and who who controls what is is fucking like is the talk of kings it's the talk of oligarchs it's the talk of 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 the global of, glo of global capitalism and on the ground is the most important thing who is is best treated by which kind of arrangement on the ground that's the most important thing for me and all of this stuff like you know ukraine has the right to exist ukraine has the right to have its borders canada has the right to exist can no, no country has the right to fucking exist and that's the really difficult i think truth that underpins all of this that 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 when people in power see the people that they're governing as dispendable, disposable, it's like, fuck it. We don't care how many people will die. We're going to do we're going to protect whatever the fuck at all costs. And at all costs means we don't care how many people are going to die. I mean, I guess maybe just to say that my local newspaper quoted someone in. Uh, in, in Ukraine saying, um, you know, under no circumstances can we give up anything to Russia at all costs. And I read that and I think, wow, I just think of how many people 
uh, are okay with like giving up masks if other people are going to die. Like that there's this like really horrifying chauvinism that can exist where people are just like, it doesn't really matter how many people die. This, this is so important. And it's like, there are causes that are really important. Um, from Canada's perspective, is this, this it where we're just like, don't worry about the Ukrainian lives. Don't worry about the Russian lives. We're going to fucking ramp it up, send our warships, spend $16 billion to NATO, and then probably just as much money more, uh, on our own military increase spending. It's like, fuck, it's all really bad. At, at a, at a time when people are really, really struggling coming out of some of the, the worst economic realities that people have faced in decades. It is, it like, <laughs> whoo, propaganda. It'll do a number on you.